0: Welcome to another episode of Just Now. My name is Jace Munemini, and joined with me, as always, my partner in crime, Anton Taylor.
1: What's up, guys? Today, we are very excited. We have the number one ranked UFC middleweight on the planet, the man of the monomous, Drikkis Duplessis. Brother, very good to have you here today. Thank you so much for Thank coming. Thank you so through. much, I Amy.
2: Mean, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: We'd like to take a moment to acknowledge our sponsors. Iron Curtain Security is a software and hardware company that specializes in the supply, installation, and design of CCTV and early warning detection security. For more information, visit ironcurtainsecurity.co.za Legum Fight Gear supplies fighters, coaches, and gym owners with premium quality, competition-grade traditional fight gear with a modern edge. All Legum Fight products are designed, tested, and engineered by professional MMA fighters. For more information, visit LegumFightGear.com and use the promo code JUSTNOW10 for a 10% discount when purchasing. So Dirk, it's, it's I'm excited to have you here and I need to know, this is like a, my burning question. You've obviously made it to the pinnacle of, MMA, of an MMA career, right? You're at the top right now. Did you always know that like, from, from day one, when you made your debut in EFC or even as an amateur, did you always know that you were going to be here today? I feel like Fighters kind of know in their heart, like how far they can go. But I'm curious if you visualize this right, or right from the beginning.
2: You know, um, it's, a, it's a, it should be easy to answer, but it isn't because when I started this career, my only goal was to fight on TV. That was the coolest <laughs> thing. And as you start um, conceptualizing exactly what you're busy with and start seeing this and I'm doing good and you're getting better and opportunities start coming. Every time my goals just started you know, shifting a little. It was become an EFC champion. That'll be awesome, that'll be a life goal. Then became champion, eventually became a double champion. At the end of the day, that's where the goal is at now. It does not have an end date. It's purely to be the greatest fighter of all time. And uh, you know, it just shows you, like, you think you're dreaming big, but you can always go bigger. Yeah, pretty
1: And I want to ask, man, so like, uh, many people like myself like when you know I try not to fangle when you're here because it's exciting to have you Bria. and um, I'm wondering like if you follow fighting in South Africa many like we've known you for a while but I don't know how it is for the average person on the street and I don't know if there's been like a moment when you were like oh shit like I'm um, a lot of people recognize me and like um, how it's sort of like if your life has like changed or yeah
2: yeah absolutely I think uh, especially especially and being EFC champion, then becoming a, a double division champion, then starting being the face of EFC for a while, it was almost your hardcore MMA fans mm. that that you know recognize you or just you know, because the scene is just not that big. Yeah. And uh, ever since UFC on Sports started becoming a reality, and we st- we had a horse to, to root for in the UFC, myself, Cameron, you know, going out there and, and, and performing well. It, it almost became every fight more people are taking notes and more people are watching it you know more people are proud mm. and uh after this last one of course you know fighting a guy like Robert Whitaker and and beating him that uh changed the whole game but you know the life is ever changing but it's been it's almost gradually become more yeah. and more and it's just cool for me to see how many people are watching the sport yeah. how many people are excited about the sport and not only supporting me but supporting our boys when we go out and, and do what we do.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, so I know you've told me this off podcast and we've spoken in the past about um, just dealing with adversity and dealing with injuries. I've spoken to you about the injuries that I've dealt with and you've always seemed to have these crazy injury stories before before a fight. Anything specific that happened this time around? So,
2: uh, yeah, but this, uh, you know, it's a fight gap. I always tell people, I don't think myself or any other fighter, especially at that, that level, has ever stepped into the cage being 100%. You know, this fight camp is a very intense time. Your body goes through a lot. It's eight weeks of intense intense training, taking damage. You know, it's not intentional, but you know, when you are training for a fight, you are probably gonna get an injury along the way. Whether you have a finger that's dislocated or something bigger. So with this fight, literally two days before we flew out to, to, to Vegas, uh, I kicked. I went for a low kick and my training partner just moved back and I fractured a part on my, on my leg, and uh, on my foot right at the top, and I thought it was nothing, because obviously with adrenaline, and the next morning I couldn't walk on my foot at all, and we had to go to the team doctor saying, listen, what are, we, what are we able to do here? And uh, obviously, you know, having a moon boot on immediately to make sure that everything is stable, you know, and cause more damage. I had to go to the doctor, but walking around with a hat, with the hoodie, you know making sure i 'm disguised because what am I going to do you know drive with my car that's branded <laughs> get out get up. just before we go you Now everybody's so hyped up with this fight, and that that wouldn't have been good, but it all it all worked out you know we we had to deal with that and couldn't kick for two almost three weeks before the fight and uh, the first time I actually kicked with it again was in the fight but uh what would a can be without some adversity? Well, bro, I
1: find it very satisfying because, um, you know, your nose, you'd obviously broken your nose and people were like, oh, he gasses easily. And you know, obviously as a, as a fan, you're quite sensitive to like when, you know, I read the comments on, on <laughs> which I shouldn't. but bro, you fixed your nose and then you literally, I think you shut up apart from the victory over Whitaker. Like, I
2: think people had to admit that they, they'd been wrong. Listen. For me, I was also nervous, let me tell you that, yeah. because you know, I'm, I know I'm getting more tired than I should be, and I, you know, we don't have a concrete answer for why is that happening. You know, it's not the fact that we're not training, we are working harder at every fight. It just doesn't make sense, because when I'm training, I'm, it's not happening. And you know, I'm always in great shape. Yeah. Then getting to a fight, and you get tired within a round, and I, it, you know, we are looking for the answers, and the nose was the clear. I said, but there was only one way to find out. Everybody always asked. And that's why I didn't like the whole nose narrative because I didn't want to sound like I'm making an excuse for it. Yeah. And with this fight, this is the first fight I fought with the new nose, was 100% <laughs> before going out, I just felt, Jesse, I can't get tired of this fight. Like if this happens right now, what am I gonna say? And uh, felt amazing, felt absolutely incredible. And did you feel the foot in the fight? Like, were you aware of the injury? The, uh, the were literally, the, literally the first, uh, strike I threw, as if I thought it was a kick to the shin with this exact foot. Just because I, it bothered me the whole time. Because even in warm-up, I didn't use a kick with it, it was too painful. And as soon as the ref said fight, I just knew I had to kick this foot to get over it. Now it's already screwed so might as well just go all the way
0: so that's something that you said to me on the phone the other day and it was like really profound for me that you were like i'm going to throw this through this kick right from the beginning because as someone that's fought with an injury i've always had the almost opposite mentality where it's like you try and protect it as much as possible and then it feels almost like the more you focus on it the bigger the problem becomes so it's an interesting shift that you decided to just you know go first strike you throw throw that so that now the worst is potentially out the. Way. yeah
2: 100 percent. and i always tell people if you get an injury like that two weeks before the fight much better than getting it four weeks before the fight. Because to fight injured, that's fine. Adrenaline, you're always going to be fine. Uh, for me, uh, that kind of pain, you feel, you feel pain, but the adrenaline just takes. Yeah. You know, you, you'd worry about it afterwards. But uh, if, you, if you have an injury four weeks from the fight, that starts to uh, go into, now you can't train properly. So you're going underprepared into the fight. So that's why this injury, even though it wasn't ideal, Happened at the best possible time.
1: Brian, I mean, I think, uh, you know, Whitaker, and I, you know, one of the sort of greats of the, of the sport, were you, and, and you, you absolutely manhandled them, were you surprised by how well you did or, or had you be, had that confidence going
2: into it? I, I, I knew I'd win the fight. Uh, well, I mean, that's, that's my mentality. I don't go in there to lose ever. But, you know, when, when it all comes together, it always feels great because I, I said that before the fight, for me to be able to be a guy like Robert Guerrero, I need to be perfect. I need to have the performance of a life, of my life. I need to go out there and do everything right because when you're fighting a guy like that, one mistake and it's over. Yeah. And uh, yeah, on the night, you know, everything came together and we performed the way I've been wanting to perform since signing with the UFC for for a while.
0: It's worth really interesting to me watching, you know, young, young up and coming UFC fighters then start to fight. Essentially, their heroes or, or people that they might have looked up to. Did you have, have you ever had with anyone that you fought, but particularly with Whitaker, um, any kind of like fanboy moments? Yeah,
2: I have to say I'm a, I was a big fan of Darren Till always, yeah. and uh, then of course uh, a guy like Robert Whitaker, No, he was really one of the, one of the guys that I've always looked up to in, in terms of how good he fights. He, he, it seems people ask me so many times, where do you see the gaps in his game? What weakness does he have? And I honestly couldn't answer that question once because he does not have weaknesses. He makes mistakes like everybody. And that's this whole fight, my whole game plan in this fight was, I'm not going to exploit something in Whitaker. He's just too good. But I can, when there's a mistake and when there's a chance, I have to make sure I capitalize. And that is, at that level, that's the only way you're going to, because nobody's going to be unfit. Everybody's strong. Nobody is terrible on the ground terrible in wrestling or in striking. Everybody at that level can do everything. So there was just no, I mean, you could look at his fights and you won't go, oh, he's weak there. You would only think they made a mistake. That's why I should capitalise. And hopefully you know, when you, your game plan, when you go out there, big, uh, big ups to my coach, Mono FSA. He is the one, we came up with the game plan for this fight and it worked perfectly.
1: I mean, what I really liked, I thought you you are always very respectful, but like, you know, you really were respectful to, to Whitaker. And then I saw like um, Adesanya like lurking in the background as you actually just trying to, you know, talk about Robert. And I thought, look, as a, I was very pr- I thought many people were very proud about how you handled that whole. I mean, that must be one of the big po- biggest talking points of MMA this year. Brew, like it's it just crazy what, from your point of view. Like, how was that whole experience when, when like Israel got in and that whole, it was hectic?
2: Yeah, it was, it, was, it was cool. I didn't know he was going to get into the cage, but I did have a feeling. It was cool to me because I said it as well that, you know, you never really see a champion going into the cage yeah. to mm, face the yeah. challenger. And, mm. uh, he, you know, I made him get up from his seat, come and felt he needed to yeah. that. But for me, I, I just knocked out Robert Whitaker. I'm on top of the world there's nothing he could have said Uh, you know it was a I don't it was a amateur hour move if you ask me because you know I'm booming with confidence um you know I just knocked out Robert Whitaker in a shorter time than he did landed more strikes made it look a lot easier and he gets in there and makes himself look like an absolute idiot and uh it was just the you know the energy was a lot of times when, when you look at these champions as, a, as an outsider, before you get into that contention spot, you think these guys simply do not lose, they don't make mistakes. And uh, that just proves once again that how easily you can lose as well. Yeah.
0: I've always hated the idea of like a face-off after a big victory, though. It's always something that I feel like it steals from the limelight of the person that's just like, enjoy your victory. You've just, you, you know what I mean? You've just had this massive moment and there's this idea of like somebody coming in and kind of taking, taking from that. It's never been something that I've thought is particularly classy, but no one's made it look less classy than, than that moment. Yeah,
2: no, uh, for me, I, I'm fine with the face-off, but like you said, it, it felt not that it, to me, it made my moment even bigger. because this, you know, this is what this set up. Yeah. I fought Robert Wittiger, beat Robert Witt and that is now to fight for the uh, middleweight title of the world. Yeah. So that was one thing. Though I felt a little bit you know, Robert Whitaker being an absolute warrior and a and a and a martial artist, deserved to deserves the respect of me celebrating beating him. If that makes sense. Yeah. Where you know, with that happening it even more that he already just lost and um it almost felt like even him just losing to me, it took away just no, it doesn't really matter. Let's focus on the next fight. So he didn't get that respect that he deserves of, you know, losing honourably.
1: And Bruce, so going ahead when you do fight um, Israel, uh, you know, I wonder if he's going to keep on with that kind of argument and that quite, you know, hectic thing about who belongs where. And I think for us that live in South Africa, that's quite like a, a loaded topic as it is. So I don't know. I mean, like I said, I thought you just conducted yourself so well in the moment. But I don't know if, like, you've thought about how you'll you'll handle it if the press conferences get like if, if he sort of carries on in that way.
2: Yeah, I mean, for me, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I, uh, I don't need to prepare for anything. Yeah, I'll go out there and say what I think and and, and speak the truth, yeah. like I have been. I live in I live in Africa. You, you know? don't. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: knowing that this whole idea of um, an African, you know, African fighter could have been contentious. Did, did you, I think what I'm asking is, did you know when you made those statements initially about being the, you know, one of the only, you and Cameron being the only UFC fighters that are living in Africa, training under African sun, did you know that that was going to get under some of the African UFC fighters' skin?
2: Not at all, not at all. Because, I mean, the whole thing just blew up maybe like three weeks after the fight, like after the statement. And no, when I said that, I purely stated the fact that this is going to be in a record book. Yes. If you look looking at a record I want to be the first African residing champion in the USC. That was what it came down to. And nothing came of it. That was, that was my statement. Great. And three weeks later, things just went crazy. But, you know, I don't give a shit, to be honest. Like, if, if he's offended, I do not care.
1: Yeah. And I think he's taking his, his own, like, spin on it or something triggered him. Because, like, you, you weren't talking about ethnicity. You, no. were, you were saying, we live in Africa, we train, it's... <laughs> you, you know, that, that's literally, it's a pretty, actually, as you say, like, pretty straight statement, you know. Yeah, it's just straight straightforward,
2: ah, uh, well, here we are now. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's exciting stuff. Okay, listen, I can see you eyeing this biltong, so I feel like we need to talk about this biltong and get into it. So, <laughs> talking about being under African suns, um, LA Farms is um, a uniquely Cape Townian uh, on the West Coast um, farm that farms this amazing grass-fed organic uh, meat, and um, they've got amazing biltong and horse, so I think we should have a snack.
1: Yeah man, <laughs> yes, well if you are a viewer from outside of South Africa, this is, I mean, this, this is as start. South African. So this
0: is the, wa- this is the Wagyu biltong, and I like to add a little bit of extra salt into it, so this is some something else, I love my salt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is um, also uniquely South African Rx Desert Salt, I'm just going to pour that in there and then you're going to have a taste of this.
2: I now you... I have to try <laughs> <laughs> mm. it.
1: So the, the stereotype is that Afrikaans boys get very strong from the flace and the pub. that they do That is you, fact. Do you, is it fact? Is That's it?
2: Facts. <laughs> fact. Factually, fried flace and pub. <laughs> that is why we are. All...
0: So after your fighting, you said, you know, we eat on, fact, was that what you were referring to or what was it? Say what? that again. <laughs> 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 what, did you, what did you mean? Mm.
2: <laughs> so, obviously, uh, going finding a guy like what a guy said, um makes a lot of sense that uh, I am the uh, underdog in this situation. Rightfully so. The only people that could really go and say, we know Juggies will win this fight are my family, the people who train with me, and the people around me that know what sacrifice I make, the work that I put in. Those are the only people that can really know. And then, of course, as South Africa, regardless if you think I can beat with it or not, yeah. it's about supporting your guys, supporting your fellow South Africans. Yeah. And uh, when I made that statement, you know, there's so many South Africans in the that where people, I mean, And nobody gave me a shot in this fight, not one single UFC fight. I think they asked 32 and I got zero votes.
1: Wow, nice. (laughs) I'm satisfied. And, uh,
2: you know, every analyst, every, I mean, the whole media, every single media, nobody gave me a shot. And I was totally fine with that. But I got so much support, you know, South Africans going, "Rigas has got this. Rigas is going to beat this guy, even though... In their minds, they might think I don't think he's gonna win this, but when it comes to the publicly, yeah. they they back your yeah. their boyki And that's exactly what that statement was about is they didn't know, but now they know. And we've known.
1: You drop some cold lines, like you're very good on the on the mic, like I'm thinking of the face of for the Israel. But when I heard that I thought, you know, as South Africa we're a very unique country with unique challenges that people don't know, and also I think we produce very like driven, special people. And I really, yeah, man, I was like, yeah, that's, that's the kind of people we produce, man.
2: 100%, I mean, if you just go in, in history, we have mm. some of the um, most amazing athletes in the world. Yeah. And it's weird because it's always in this weird situation where we, we shouldn't be winning, but we always do. Mm.
0: So speaking about supporting your boy,
2: <laughs>
0: round about the time that you, that this, this Whitaker fight was happening, was about to happen, the Elon Musk and, um, and uh, Zuckerberg thing broke. And I remember you making a statement saying, like, you know, Pretoria boy, you'd be happy to train him. Um, obviously, now he's opted for a GSP vibe. How do you feel about that?
2: I don't know. Uh, when they asked me that question the first time, honestly, uh, we are definitely living in a simulation. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what's happening right now? It makes no sense at all, but it's cool. I'm going to watch. Yeah. You know, I'm going to watch it. We'll yeah. My will watch, My opinion on it, I don't... Uh, honestly, I've, I've thought about it and I honestly do not have an opinion. I do not know. Uh, I don't know. Well, it's great. It's great for fighting. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's it's say great. Is
0: it, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it either. At the but end, end of people
2: the day, you know, listen, to, listen to this. So you have these two billionaires and flexing with money. And uh, of course, um, I'm, the, I, I'm guessing that that's a thing you do if you are that rich. But at the end of the day, and that's why I love this sport so much, it all comes down to one thing. Mm. That's
0: very true, actually, the way you put it now. Yeah, you're right, Like you can flex with, with whatever material thing that you've acquired and your brain and whatever, but at the end of the day, when you want to look at who's the bigger man in any context, it comes down to who would win in a fight. Yeah, yeah,
2: exactly, exactly that. Uh, and, you know, it's the most primal thing in the world. Even the literally richest man in the world is, is opting for that. Uh, it's just something we have as humans. We have that in our DNA. You know, it's it's part of our nature.
1: And I think that's why respect should always go to the fighter because you're putting yourself in that position where you could lose, you know, which Absolutely. is no one else's... People can flex, but they won't put themselves in a ring and, and go to war with
2: another person <laughs> in front of it, others. It's, it's a hard thing to do. Yeah. It's a hard thing to do, but, you no, know, that's... Yeah, that's, so that's why I think it's, it might be cool. It is great for the sport because at the end of the day, listen, I promise you, it's not going to be a good fight. <laughs> <laughs> people
0: are going to watch, though.
2: Yeah, people are going to watch, but it will be... It, it puts it into perspective why myself and most people do this. We have that in us. It's in our DNA, we cannot help it. We've always, it's the oldest sport in the world. The first thing people did was fight each other. Yeah. You know, for my, that's my cave.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and here we are today, still doing it.
0: 100%. And um, speaking of people wanting to fight you, <laughs> so what happened while you were out in Cape Town the other night?
2: Oh, wow. So <laughs> We walk into a place, I have no idea what the place name was, just a couple of friends and uh, one guy literally just you know came from the side. He said, "Hey, Jiggers," I said, "Yeah," and he slapped me. So first it was like, "Hey, hey, what's up? What's up? What's up?" We literally just got in, and next moment the guy just slapped me in the face. And obviously I, I reacted, but you know there was no no big fight. But the rest of the people in the in the place this guy got out hiding. But it was the most crazy thing. It was <laughs> it was ridiculous and. I was so shocked because you know, I was still saying hi to people, and all of a sudden, this guy just goes, Like, slap.
0: open hand slap. Open hand
2: slap, straight. But, no, nothing too serious. Would what? you
0: say that's the weird, craziest thing that's happened to you out so far since you're very no. recognizable?
2: So far, maybe. I'm sure you get
0: your fair share you of panties thrown at you, that kind of thing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess you can say. Get a gentlemanly what gentlemanly
1: response. What? What, can you, what can you say? Yeah. It happens, yeah, it, it happens. happens. <laughs> I'm sure you must get some interesting DMs if you ever open your... <laughs> yeah. Listen,
2: at least I have a... Yeah, yeah, so you you get, get some weird DMs. <laughs> but no one's so ever, familiar. that was
0: the first, no one's ever slapped you out in public, like, unless you were in a, like a proper fight or something, know, I'm yeah. sure, yeah. different well, story.
2: For yeah. <laughs> well, no reason, just like walking in and slapped, no, that was the first time. I was like, why do you Cape Townians so weird? <laughs> I mean, we always say
1: Cape Townians are clicky and unfriendly. And now guys, we cannot have like a, 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 one of the proudest South African <laughs> athletes. And he gets welcomed in with some little kid <laughs> slapping him. like <laughs> I, but, I, promise. But I have to say, to the rest of the people, that
2: was one situation. Everybody and since I've been in Cape Town has been very, very awesome and, you know, very supportive, taking photos and being super nice. But, you know, that was one situation.
1: So how long does it, when you say you flew into Cape Town, from the airport to your car or the Uber, like how I long does it take you? I post
0: a up in, in, in the airport at the moment.
1: Like how long does it take you for people asking for photos? Is it quite like...
2: Um, <laughs> well, sometimes it's, it's cool because I can see some people ones to ask for a photo or whatever you want to say, but sometimes they just be like a little bit shy. I don't know. Obviously, they think maybe if I say hello to this guy, he might just beat me or something, but... It's always funny because if one guy has the courage to come up and say, he's going to have a photo, uh, immediately everybody's like, free fall But it's great. I mean, especially after a massive fight like this, it's, uh, it's, it's great to, to be celebrated.
0: So, you said to me, and I don't know if this is public knowledge, but you said to me that you felt like Whitaker was your easiest fight in the UFC so far.
2: I felt uh, not him being my easiest fight, but my, in terms of my performance. I performed at such a level in this fight that I could beat anybody in the world. And that's what made it feel easy, is the fact that I showed up and fought the way that I know I can. You know, all the fights before this, I've had some good performances, had not so good performances, got the victory every time. But with this fight, once again, I stated that I cannot be 99%. I need to be 100% on. And me at 100%, can beat anybody in the world. And uh, I felt like uh, I was firing on, at 100% on, in that fight, and that made it feel easy, if if that makes sense. It Robert Wettiger, obviously, it's just technically is just so sound and he's such a good all-rounder, but when I came out there and I, I could feel it, when I got into that flow state was, there's nobody in the world that's gonna beat me.
0: So what would you say has been your hardest fight in the UFC so far?
2: Well, the Darren Till fight, I was honestly in a in a very dark place. I had I had a staph infection in fight week, right here on my on my stomach, and um, the first round went great. Obviously, yeah. I mean I was I thought the fight was maybe going to get stopped, and after that round I just knew this is going to be an easy fight. Ten eight round, let's go, and when I after the round when I went to sit in the corner, my legs were I don't know about like you know when you do a lot of squats, yeah, yeah. my legs. It just felt, even when I walked, it felt like I didn't have my legs under me at all. And I didn't understand because, you know, aerobically, I was, I was fine. I was, I was, wasn't, the breathing wasn't that bad, but it was a high pace, but my legs, every time I try to punch, my legs would wobble. And every time, and I just realized, I'm in a better position right now to start taking shots and blocking shots, trying, and recover these legs. because. What, what's happening right now? I don't know how to have the ability right now to, to, to beat this guy, because my legs are not under me. And I just try to move away, and you know, Darren Tull obviously being a sniper yeah. when it comes to that left hand. Yeah. Uh, that, that was some adversity in, the, in that fight we had, to, we had to overcome. And then, Brad Tavares was probably one of the mo- my probably my favorite fight, okay. in terms of how much fun it was. Yeah. Because after the first round, I went to the corner, and me and coach, and I went to go sit, and my coach goes, what are you doing? And I said, the game plan's not working. <laughs> and he says, no, I can see that. I can see that. And I said, well, the only thing, I literally said, parky fight. That's the only thing we can do. I said, we have to make this a dog fight. That's mm-hmm. the game plan we had for technique-wise, and getting him on the, on the ground. He just, he just, was, He was so good with that. And... I just said right now we 're going to have to make it one dog fight, and this is that's my chance right now I have to, you have to make those judgments. remember you you have a minute in between rounds to decide what you're going to do and I just said no, there's, no, there's no place to fight a technical fight it's we need to make it a dog fight, and that's what I did, and uh, that was a lot of fun, but i couldn't believe how tough that guy was i couldn't believe i i haven't hit anybody in my life that hard, and I mean you know inspiring you catch a guy like like that with half of the power in those shots and you rocked it yep. with a 16-ounce glove. Yep. You with know, those four-ounce gloves, I was swinging for the fences. But the next day my hands were swollen, just not injured, just swollen from uh, of all oh, the impact. The I couldn't believe it. There was a stage in the fight where I would hit him and his blood went into my eye. Just like, bah! It was, it was crazy. It was crazy, but what a fun fight.
1: Yeah, it was entertaining to watch, man. It was it was epic. And I mean, I'm thinking, because I know you've got a K1 background, so you've had probably a lot of fights in your life. And I'm wondering if by this stage, do you get nerves, or like, what's your your mindset when you're going into a fight? To like, because I think your beliefs very important to you. And like, is, there, is it is I don't know if it's like a process, or if you just by this point you've had so much experience, you just like sort of know the gig.
2: No, I I always tell people, people always think, why they get so stressed when they go fight? I'm like, I feel exactly the same way. Like, my first fight, it doesn't feel any different at all. The only thing that I learned was how to deal with this. And that is where experience comes in. Uh, I literally still feel so stressed every single time I go out there. Every time before the fight, I stand in That little dark room, as I like to call it, and thinking to myself, What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's just go home. <laughs> I just really cool. It's time. Yeah. You no, know, hang it up. Let's get a normal job. And uh, <laughs> I can't do this to myself anymore. But every time the music starts playing and the lights go on, it's, it's the coolest thing ever. And it's not only about winning, it's about loving that feeling of, of and I honestly feel that's why I do this. Mm. That's why I love it so much that that feeling of being in control but it's so out of your control it's not even it's not even funny but i enjoy that so much but when i work with a mental coach uh, we worked a lot for this fight big thing with me is i don't get anxious before i fight ever i don't get nervous in like being feeling that i don't want to fight right now I'm, i'm a little bit scared every fighter feels that i get very excited I'm, I'm always laughing before I go out, and like I get super excited. You know, it's, it's, you know, maybe that's just my coping mechanism with the with the stress and the pressure. I just get so excited, like ready to go. I just want to go. And sometimes, you know, when you when you're so excited and you make some mistakes, and one thing we try to do in a few fights before this, I would say, down until uh, Branson those fights, we try to calm me down the whole time and you know, staying in my mindset of don't get too excited, don't think. Don't, don't go there, stay calm, stay calm. And that was, I think, the worst thing we could have done. I don't think that was a smart move. Because I was thinking you know, about staying calm so much that that, even, that stressed me out more. That made me get tired quicker. That made me not fight. That made me hold back the whole time. Where with this Whitaker fight, I was calm, but I wasn't trying to put away any excitement. Yeah. It was great, and we were, I was 100% in control. Mentally, it was, it was great. I walked out with a heart rate monitor on to the, to the cage. You'll see um, yeah. my coach, he took it off just as before we went in to measure my heart rate going in. Because my heart rate would go to 140 when I walk out. Uh, this five before we walked out, it was uh, 111. And,
0: uh, Even 140 is really low. I'm yeah, pretty sure mine is on 190 just, when I'm walking, just out, walking, to walking
2: out there. goes 140 and you know, for no, but that's high, I think. No, 140, yeah, 140, is low. 140 140 just walking out there, standing before that while we're being introduced. Now all of a sudden, I'm fighting, my heart yeah. rate goes to 160 immediately.
0: 160.
2: Yeah, yeah. 160. Yeah. When you're fighting, that's a high heart rate. That's a very high heart rate. You, you start your first minute in the fighting.
0: Yeah, so look, I mean, I've done um, a full W strength and conditioning coach, a strength and conditioning course for coaching. And one of the things that he speaks about is how some of these top UFC fighters are able to get their heart rate down to like 120. That's the goal, 120 between yes. rounds in that one minute. Okay. Is that something that you guys were working with and as
2: well? The, the whole time we tried, because with this game, obviously we knew there was something wrong with, the, with why am I getting tired. And we got in, uh, more help with uh, strength and conditioning. We, got, uh, uh, we started working on my... My, my aerobic base, and we realized there was a little bit of a problem there because we're always training at full speed. That my heart just knows one place, and that's yep. at the top. So even when I'm just going at a slow pace in a fight, my body doesn't know how to respond to that. It just I'm getting as tired when I'm going as slow as I do when I get go full speed. That was how my that's why I was just always going when I'm tired. Let's go full speed because now at least my opponent's getting tired too. And with this fight, we spent a lot of time fixing those problems. The eight weeks we had, and yeah, it all paid off at the end. And that's why we were. This uh, obviously also you don't have anything to measure it with. Yeah. My heart rate. So this was a big test for us as well to yeah. make sure that in the future, are we where we at? Yeah. Where we at? And what was great is before we walked out, that excitement started. And uh, my coach said, "Hey." you need to bring your heart rate down. And obviously that's a big mental thing, but you know, if you, if you, and my heart rate, I started dropping my heart rate with nine beats within a few seconds going down, 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 down. And that's where you want to be. That's how you know you're in control uh, mentally. And that's such an important part to be in control and you know, not letting the environment control you, but you are 100% in control in that environment. It paid off.
1: Do you use the, I mean, how, how do you, how did it work this time? What did you do to drop through your heart rate this time, Run? You no,
2: know, it sounds ridiculous actually saying it, but, you know, our minds are, the minds are very powerful too, and yes. that was, that was it, you know, practicing that in training, getting in between rounds, making sure that between rounds, the coach is there, looking at my heart rate, focusing on your heart rate, and getting it down. It's, it's your body, and you can control it.
0: Fascinating, because obviously as yoga teachers, both of us, you know, we we speak a lot in, in teaching yoga around you focusing on the breath, and with you know with breathing, you're able to to um, neutralise yourself or to to control your body in a way to bring your heart rate down, etc. It's something that I've worked on a lot because my heart rate has been ridiculously high. Like I'll look down in sparring and I'm sitting on like. One, like 190, like, I'll oh, look wow. over at Michigan, I'll be like, how am I still alive? <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> so it's interesting to hear that you can, because I know I'm fit, yes. but then the heart's doing something else because yeah, it's fight or flight,
2: right? Yeah, yeah exactly, and that's that's exactly it. Uh, you know, going into that, if, you, if you're if you going to, we also did a lot of uh, training with um, conscious adrenaline rush, you know, making sure, you know, like the the ice baths that yeah. we use. I'm not doing it after training but before first thing in the morning in the middle of winter that was terrible but it is <laughs> they say you get used to it you don't that's no, terrible it. and that is you're basically exposing your body in with adrenaline cortisol but it's all happening via your choice so you're in there uh, mentally and you get your body used to dealing with that situation where you know, we try and simulate a fight as much. You can try and simulate as much as you want. There's no training session that's going to make you feel what you feel in the fight. There's not going to be that adrenaline uh, overdose. So exposing myself to that situations, like the cold plunges and all that. You no, know, we can, we can't say for sure what was the success because it was a it was the accumulation of a lot of small things that finally added up. And you know, all these small small efforts and uh, trials you can go make it make the difference at the end
1: well i think what i find really cool and you often talk about like you always talk about south african mma you know and like the it's not just i always feel like it's not just the director show it's like it's about south african mma and i think maybe even ourselves sometimes we think oh can we hang with the you know you, you view these foreign countries as like at a high level but it like, from all the things you're talking about, even like when you came out, I think with Whitaker, you were trying Southpaw yes, um, stars. Yes, that was the game,
2: or oh, coaches plan. I thought, uh, let's go find the number one guy in the world in a different stance. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's do that. Oh,
1: okay. <laughs> it works. And it shows so the intelligence of the training. So I think it just, it's really showing that South African MMA is like, is, is really up there, man.
2: 100%, we have, we have everything. Yes, we are behind 100% when it comes to the amount of years that we have experienced in, mm-hmm. in, in having the facilities, of course, yeah. and all, all the kind of stuff that if you just go look at, if you're in America and you're a good wrestler, you have a scholarship, you have a full ride, you have the best training possible, you basically get paid to do what you do. In South Africa, nobody really gives a shit. So, if you wanna wrestle, you you know, you know can you can wrestle, you're gonna join a club, uh, a local club, but look at what we have done. And it just shows that, you know, and that's what's so cool about this. Now, I'm just seeing, I, I don't know if you guys win when I fought, if you guys, obviously, with your gym, realize that happened too. And I, I didn't even think about it that way. Obviously, for me at CIT, uh, owning that gym, every fight you see the influx of people, yeah. more people wanting to join, people yeah. were seeing, being inspired to finally started. this, kids, everyone going, we can do this, from South Africa. And I don't know if you guys here in Cape Town also felt that, that I spoke to a wrestling coach, who's a small town wrestling coach, and he said, after the fight, the amount of kids that came to the wrestling class, because of, they saw, yeah, there's a South African that can do it, I can also do that. And that's awesome.
0: So, so obviously you and Cameron aren't the first to get to the UFC. 100%. Um, there, there was the Roan Potts and then Gareth and, you know, it's, it, there have been guys, JP, now Timber. There are guys coming through, but with the initial guys that started, let's say um, Gareth and, and, and um, Ron Potts, that got into the UFC, would you say that that was just the wrong time in terms of the development of MMA and we've caught up? Or is it wrong training camp?
2: I trained with Gareth. Now, I think with Ruan. I think it was, I don't know. You know, maybe it's mentally. You know, being the first South African to go to the UFC, that's a that's a lot of pressure to handle. So I mean, it's hard to say with Gareth. I think he was in a. Let me let me explain this. What I think happened to all these guys, you know, a lot of them. The goal was always to be in the UFC, to make it to the UFC, and they reached that goal. And now, what do you do? Yeah. That's what I think personally. That's what I think because you know I train with Gareth. We're very good friends. Yeah. Um, he's such an intelligent fighter. He's such an intelligent. He helps me with my camps. Uh, he has been for the past two, three years. Three yeah. years. We've been working together, and he's such an intelligent fighter. And the knowledge he has. But we speak about that a lot, and I think, um, I don't know if he told me this, but I have to say that's what I think might have happened. Now, and really pioneering is hard. Yeah. Being the first to do it, you don't have an example, you don't have a blueprint. But you know, without that, uh, you know, the loss, Gareth was, he beat me just before he went to the UFC. I was, a very, I was very young at that age, but that, that loss made me 10 times better fighter. After that loss, I realized what it took to be here. I thought I was training hard. I was doing a session every day, sometimes even two. And then I realized there's no half-assing to make it. There are guys that do this for a living, and that's where I made the switch. Of I need to be a complete fighter. I can't say I don't want to grapple with this guy or I don't want to strike with this guy. I need to be ready for everything, everywhere, and uh, you know. Yeah, I think honestly I think that was that was that was a problem for a lot of our guys uh, uh, reaching the goal.
0: I was going to say, so 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 interesting. There's two things there that you mentioned. So the one is, um, and I feel like I've heard this before. I don't know if you've said it to me or where I heard it, but that you know a lot of a lot of guys, there is their end goal is I just want to make it to the UFC, and then you don't actually think you know what 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 next? How do I want to stay in the UFC? Yeah, once you get champion. there, that's the hard
2: part. 100.
0: <laughs> the work start, starts right. So that's very interesting that you mentioned that. That's like. You think maybe the defining difference yes. between yourself and Cameron, and you know the guys that have come before you, but then you touched on Gareth, and he's obviously one of your only losses. Him and the the KSW guys, yeah. who you beat, and then yeah. and then lost year We talk about, you know, you you win or you lose, you win or you learn, often, um, which I don't qu- completely agree with because I feel like I learn a lot from my my wins as well and where I possibly went wrong. But what has what came out of your kind of two losses in your career that were big lessons for
2: you. The great thing was with the Roberto Soldic loss the last time, uh, I was fighting at welterweight and I shouldn't have been at that weight. And, you know, I became champion in the UFC and in KSW. And now I had this bout and we actually knew I can't make welterweight anymore. It's, now I was young. I was 21 when I had my debut at welterweight. And then I was walking around maybe 85, 86 kilos and I walk around 97, and that's why I walked around by the end of my welterweight. It was just, I mean, I became a grown-up. And I mean, I had this belt, so what am I gonna do? Give up the belt? No, I can't do that. And I was just killing myself to make that weight every time. I mean, I I had to, all in all go down, what, 20 kilos? That's what I had to get down from to, to get to the weight. And life was miserable. You know, I, I didn't have eight-week cancer. So I had to start with my diet 12 weeks out. Mm. And just, it was it was miserable, and it started affecting my body, my, you know, everything, you know, your hormones. Everything goes goes down the drain, but what can you do yeah. You know, I have this bout? So, if I had beaten Roberto soldiers in that second fight, I would have probably still be at welterweight, and that would have been the worst thing for me. I would probably get signed to the UFC, because I was on an 11-fight win streak then, and I would have been signed as a welterweight. And that would have been, I think, the, the, that would have been actually so, so, yeah, that would have made my career terrible. I don't think as a welterweight I could even compete in the UFC. I couldn't take the, the punches that I take. Mm. Every, in that last fight, every shot that I took, even on the gloves, felt like somebody hit me with a bat. Mm. Every, you know, I just didn't have it. And that was the big thing we took away from that. I took off for a whole year, became a middleweight, not a while to fighting a middleweight. I took off for a whole year, didn't fight once, and prepared for that middle, middleweight debut and was the best move I could have ever made. Because, you know, you see these guys fighting in the UFC and you think, they are massive. Yeah. Why are these guys so big? Then you meet them in person and you realize, right now, people go, how does Drikus make middleweight? They no. can't believe it, I'm massive middleweight. You know, Whitaker, they were talking about him going, moving up to like heavy, you he were talking about that. Yeah. I was so much bigger than him. Yeah. And, you know, me at welterweight, when I went to go train in America, the other gyms, they would say, okay, uh, this strength conditioning, uh, featherweights, the weights, this side, middleweights and up this side. And I would look like that big kid <laughs> in school that had the mustache at, the, at like 10 years old. And I would stand there and just look down at everybody and realize, listen, I don't belong in this group. Yeah. I belong with those middleweights yeah. and the light heavyweights. And that was a big, big lesson and it saved my career, I honestly believe so. And obviously the, the loss against Gareth, you know, knowing how good he could wrestle and grapple and knowing that I'm a striker. At that stage, purely K1 striking and that not being his strong suit, I just knew I could, you know, when, if I get, we have to keep this on the feet. He's too good of a wrestler. He was a lot bigger than me. I was walking around on weight and he finally he got me down I defended the first few takedowns I had a choke on in the first 10 seconds when he shot I had a guillotine choke which is my one of my favourite chokes and I just let it go because the game plan was do not be done there do mm-hmm. not get engaged in the grappling exchanges and he started taking me down and my wrestling wasn't good enough my wrestling wasn't good enough I couldn't get back up I was not good enough to beat him, uh, 100%. And that made my mind switch to, you need to do more. You need to make sure this never happens again. You never get in a situation again where you don't have an answer. And that was the mind shift I made, and I haven't been in that situation ever again.
1: So, because you, know, you have a striking background, how did you almost? And you're talking about like in, in the States, they do wrestling for, since they're like yeah. kid, like. How did you almost catch up and get your ground game, like, get, build it up?
2: Yeah, it's, it's crazy because I started with judo when I was five years old. Okay, so I did judo up until I was 10, 11 years old, 10 years old. Then I started wrestling for two years. But just, you know, I didn't like wrestling at all. I just did it as an extra activity. And when I started kickboxing at 14, that's where I really started loving the sport. I thought, like, fighting is the best thing in the world. And I just had a very, and still do, I have a very natural ability when it comes to wrestling and grappling. When it comes to, obviously with the wrestling, coming from that background, doing judo and wrestling since I was this big, you just, I know how the body works. When it comes to the grappling part, I just, I just from the beginning, I had, I had a very natural uh, take to grappling and wrestling. I just understand it, I I get it, and uh, it's one it's, of, I'm a talented grappler, let's say that, and with striking, I'm the hardest worker there is.
0: I like that. You touched on something now when you speak about um, your weight, your weight divisions, and how you kind of struggle to struggle to make um, welterweight and then realize you were middleweight, and how that t- that was a process. We did a whole episode on body dysmorphia, and I spoke about how um, I think fighters, in particular, have a very unique kind of approach to weight and and their bodies because we're always having to. The scale is so important. Like, we always have to get on the scale. You know, like, how much weight you lose when, you, no when you take a peak. And there's no way you ever pee. get a
2: straight answer from a fighter. What's, yeah, what's your weight? weight? No, no, the thing yeah, is, I have a, so <laughs> this weekend, what happened was, there's this, always a story.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, our coaches here have this this um, thing where it's like, whatever the fighter says, you just add three kgs. and yeah, then you you're you are probably quite close to it. So did you ever, have you ever struggled with any kind of, I don't necessarily even want to call it body dysmorphia, but any kind of stress around... Um, Perceiving yourself as bigger because you in your mind. You're a welterweight at this stage, right? So anything that's close to middleweight or, or even light heavyweight like now you're you're fat. Have you ever had any kind of Struggles with the scale where that's concerned or on another side when you get on the scale at on weight And you see yourself in like the best shape of your life and then a week later Like you were saying you're gonna take selfies with your shirt on now yeah. because you're not in that shape anymore yes. How do you deal with that kind of mentally or psychologically?
2: Yeah, I think that was the one thing with autoweight. It was just such a constant battle that I was overtraining so often because I wasn't feeling my body right and I couldn't feel my body right. I would be a little bit injured or overtrained. We know that, we see that on the app, on my heart rate, we know I'm overtrained. But if I'm not training tonight, I'm not gonna eat tonight. Mm-hmm. That was that's unfortunately there's a there's a, a formula for me making my weight. And it was mentally, that was the toughest thing in the world. Not, like you said, not a body dysmorphia for me personally. For me, it was just one thing, I cannot miss weight. I cannot miss weight, I never have, I never will. I'm not missing weight. And the, for 12 weeks, you are so starving so When I was fighting to weight, I'm talking about, I was weighing the spices that I used. I was. It was it was ridiculous, and for me it was just life. And I did it because that's what I had to do. But life became miserable. Uh, you know, after a fight, you would go, and I would bench. I would go from 77 to 103 kgs within 10 days. That's, and uh, but now I've at, at middleweight, I don't go that high anymore. I, my, I don't maybe I get to 100, but I mean it's not a bad hundred. It's not that I'm. You know, I fought. I got into the cage at 96 kgs for this fight, so I was big in this fight, and my weight went maybe went up to 100. That's, and now I'm back to 97s as I started training again, and no, but it's it's just so much better. But yeah, I know what you mean. I'll see myself on that scale, and then like two weeks later, (laughs) me and Cameron were joking about it the other day, just in this week when we were training, and. I can't train with shirt on, I hate it. I hate training with a shirt on, and Cameron as well, because I don't fight with a shirt on, yeah. so I don't train with the shirt on. And me and Cameron, <laughs> we were sweating, like really sweaty, and we looked at each other, and he said, why are you training with a shirt on? <laughs> and I said, why are you training with a shirt on? And he said, you know. <laughs> it's so funny it's so
0: interesting because you're saying that you never dealt with any of that body dysmorphia stuff so I think for me I think men just have it easier with this concern like when you walk into the gym even though you're training with a shirt on if you have put on some weight the guys will be like oh you know cute you got a little belly after the fight Whatever. if girls aren't doing that to each other after a fight like you're not going to mention how fat you got after a fight We like we hide ourselves and we're quite embarrassed like it's not something to be proud of whereas I feel like with male fighters there's a little bit of pride around how much weight you were able to put on after yeah. five, I don't well, know. Maybe that's just
2: maybe, my perception. Maybe I think I think we all. I think with and it's true what you're saying. I don't know uh, with the girls what it what it means, but with the guys, for us, it's, we're giving each other. It's, it's friendly bantering. Like, hey, yeah, what's, yeah, your yeah, yeah. what's your weight? Cause you know, like, yeah. <laughs> so ask, what's your weight? Because you know, and he's like, yeah. So coach you ask Diggers. What's your weight? What do you mean? What's my weight? Why does it even matter? I just for you said no. Just to interest.
1: Well, bro, I think your weight is one of the most discussed on earth people talk about your weight. Like, I've had conversations, you know, because they always talk about what a, what a big middleweight you are. Yeah. And everyone's like, what do you think he's walking around at, Bruno? Like, and, like, it's so interesting for me to hear that actually the cut that you do now is chilled it's compared much more to much more To <laughs> what you were doing.
2: Yeah, it was crazy. It was, it was ridiculous. This is healthy. This is sustainable. And this is, you know, this gave me five extra years in my career.
0: So we haven't chatted about speaking of long, long careers, we haven't chatted about the easy fight yet. We just spoke about um, the face-off and the fact that that fight is obviously meant to happen now and it's not happening um, right now. One of the things that I said to you is that, and, and in fact, Mike even did a whole other interview about it, saying that anybody that thinks that Drickers would step in, step in what eight weeks after winning the biggest fight of his life or the biggest fight of his life is retarded. No one does it. It's, it's not it's it's un it's unheard of. It would be too much to ask. Because you're wanting to have this long career ahead of you, um would would you agree with that that what you're doing right now is about pre- allowing yourself the long you need the rest now to allow yourself the longevity to, to win the belt and, and remain the champion.
2: Yes, absolutely. I think uh you know I'm always ready to fight. I'm always keen. Like The UFC, they phone, they phone, I answer, I say yes, let's do it. No, I haven't said no to an opponent. If it was physically possible, I'm taking the fight. You know, the guy like Whittaker fight. There's no way on earth, nobody wanted that fight. Nobody wants to fight Whittaker. And when they phoned me, it was simple. I said, yeah, sure, well, this is the guy you're giving me. Let's do it. Now, if I can't beat Whittaker, I don't deserve to be champion. Whether I fight him now, whether I fight him after I've won the belt, I don't pick my fights. How fight do they give me. If there's a fight that makes more sense, and you know, not in terms of easy, just like, let's say, I have a fight that's gonna be more hype, it's gonna be better, great. But I am I don't go, oh no, he's a wrestler, I don't wanna fight, i fight fight if they give me. That's why I'm there. And with a fight like this, it, it was actually quite silly to me that, why would you put that event on me? Why would you make that happen? Why would you make your, are two guys that's going to eventually fight either one of them are going to fight in the main event in eight weeks yeah. so i mean let's like look at this one let's 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 just go and say we're like uh, we clashes or you cut me i mean cuts they happen all the time uh, he got cut yeah. that's a proper cut so now you saying you're going to fight in eight weeks
0: yeah you're not cleared
2: you, you, you can't be cleared it's, it's impossible so for two three weeks with that cut you're not going to be able to train the, it, it doesn't make sense. So for me, you know, I we had that in mind going into this fight. I said, "Great, I'm focusing on Whitaker. I'm in great shape. Eight weeks later, you are fighting easy. Perfect. I'm ready for that." And then stuff happens. It's, it's stuff that's out of control, and there's no way I'm going to fight not at 100 uh, percent. Not if I, I'm not going to go fight at 100 percent. I'm not going to start my training game not at 100%, I'm, I'm not being able to go full speed. It makes no sense and I feel I've earned the, that with all the other fights, with the Brunson, with Till, the iphone, I said, let's do it. Yeah. I mean consecutively we had three fights in seven months. And with this fight I've earned the right to say, well, I need to uh, make sure that I'm physically capable of, of, of training and being the best that I can be when I go step out there and become the world champion.
1: When you do take a break after a fight, like what, what do you chow? What do you eat? And like, how do you like, what is off time for you? Like,
2: look like I eat, whatever there is and a lot of it. Yeah. <laughs> I like sushi. I like pizza. I like flies. I like pop a lot <laughs> and uh, yeah, I like Castle Light a lot too. <laughs> so that's 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 it. Yeah, I mean, um just, just doing normal stuff. Yeah. Doing the stuff that you that I neglected in the eight weeks leading up to a file and try and catch up on that. And, you know, socialise. Making so sure because you neglect so many people in your life when you or when I well for me, I neglect a lot of people in my life when I'm when I'm training and just mentally. Even I'll be at an event but I'm not there. Yeah. Um Constantly, my mind is not there. I'm in a different mind space. I'm making ready for war. And I'm, that's my whole life. revolves around that fight. So everybody has to kind of take a back seat. And, you know, my parents, my brothers, everybody, they're very accommodating. But for me, it feels like I'm missing out. So I try to make up for that when when, when I'm done with the fight.
0: We spoke about that in one of our podcasts where we, we spoke about how um, Fight Camp is so all-encompassing. Like, it's it's you know, one track mind the entire time is just that. And that's part of what's so amazing about it is that everything, all the noise is just cancelled out and you can just laser focus on one thing. Certainly for me, it's something that I love the most about a fight camp is that all the noise, like nothing matters. It's just a fight. But I can imagine, especially for you, who's had so many fights back to back. I mean, I don't know what the stats are if you have one of that most active streaks in the UFC, but like you've been, it's been nonstop for you for yeah. what, two years now, basically.
2: Yeah, I've fought uh, five times in the last year, I think. It's just been, That's insane. Yeah, it's just yeah. been fight after fight after fight, and it was necessary because we got these opportunities. Yes. So, a lot of times, I said, "Guys, I don't know if we're ready. If I should fight," and they go, "Okay, we're offering you Derek Brunson." I mean, I signed that fight maybe two weeks—no, a week after fighting Darren Till. I was literally a day after Christmas. I was sitting there with a beer in my hand at home <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> looking nice and fat and I just found me like, you're fighting in March, do you want to fight? That meant my fight camp started the next week yeah. again. I was in holiday mode I just said, well I'm fighting number five, I must rank number 10 at that stage and giving me a shot at number five in the world, can't say no to that. And then of course the Whitaker fight, can't say no to that and now. That's why I'm saying I've earned this place where I say I'm undoubtedly the number one contender in the world. I don't need to to I don't need to do dumb stuff because of an opportunity. I've created the opportunity now.
0: With with other fighters coming up, just kind of wrapping and wrapping up, with South African fighters coming up now and uh, you know, the doors really feeling like they're open for um, for anybody from South Africa to to make it into the UFC now. What would your like, piece of advice be to them in terms of actually achieving status like you have?
2: We, a big thing for me was we, we joked about it, uh, my, me and Henny, um, mental coach and uh, friend, Pat Holder, And uh, he, we joked about it and said, When I signed at USC, I was, wasn't, I, I mean, I've trained for this my whole life. I had a 10-day notice fight. We had lockdown, so we weren't even in the gym. And so for the biggest fight of my career, I was the most unprepared I've ever been. And the only way I could get past that mentally was saying, you've been training for this for 10 years. That's the important part. Your whole life you've been training for this day. So yes, you didn't have the camp you would like, but you've been training for this your whole life. And the biggest concern I had was what if they just have something that we don't even know about. You know, I'm stepping in that ring and this guy touches you and you're done. Maybe they're super strong, maybe they're super bad, like even on TV that I can't comprehend. You know, that that's the kind of process that I went through. Maybe these guys are superhuman. And uh, the first time I knocked somebody out, or after the first shot I took, I went, hmm, just feels like another day at the gym. And we do not have to ever stand back for anybody in the world, any gym, any size. You know, believe, in your, believe in what you're doing. Be honest with yourself. Put in the work. We have to work harder. We have to, as um, a South African MMA Friday, living training in South Africa, you have to work harder than anybody in the world because we are behind and we are catching up fast. But that's only one way to do that. Trust your team, have proper backing and work harder than anybody else in the world. Because they have a few years on us. They have the knowledge more, years of knowledge. We have to create our own style. And that's what my coach did so brilliantly. We created our own style, made it our own, but we have to work harder than anybody else in the world.
1: You know, I think one of the things we love about fighting is that a lot of the lessons you learn in the cage or in the ring can be transferred, you know, like you get knocked down you get up and I'm, you know, I'm wondering what advice you would give to somebody who's, you know, not a fighter, cause you know, not all our viewers will, will go that route, but with anyone that has a goal or, you know, what, for example, if you were to meet a young girl who wanted to be a soccer player, uh, what would you tell her?
2: One thing for me, what I always tell people is find your why. My mental and this, and it sounds like the most cliche thing ever, to find your why, why are you doing this? Are you doing this because you've been doing this? You've been training your life. Your parents got you into soccer and now you've been training your life so now you're going to be a soccer player. You're never going to be a great soccer player. There's only one way to be great and that's by loving what you do. That's the only way to ever be great. You cannot, there is, that's the one unchangeable thing I believe in any success story is love what you do. You have to love it more than anything else. And that's, that's my driving force. I love what I do more <clears throat> than anything in the world. And you know, that's the motivation you need.
0: I think it's interesting, especially when you speak about that in a fighting context. Because soccer soccer. There's, there's no like, real danger factor. But I think with men especially who fight, I think a lot of men believe that they should fight because they talk themselves into it but no. they don't really want to. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it, it's hard. And it's hard. It, you, it, really it doesn't, doesn't it's actually, hard. it's not always nice getting punched in the face or whatever. So I think a lot of guys, I see them, you know, show up in our gym and other gyms where they think they want to be a fighter because it's what everyone around them does, but they're not actually built for for the fight life or what yeah. it actually entails. Not everybody loves the the grit and the grind of getting fucked up and whatever it is. So would you say that the same is for fighting, that you need to 100% love that grit and grind in order to be successful?
2: Yeah, I mean, Obviously styles differ, but you have to realize that if you are not going through hell in training, you are going to go through hell in that fight. And that's, that's a fact. And even if you go through hell every day in training, chances are you're still going to go through hell in that fight. And you have to, that's what you sign up for. And you have to sign up for it every day. And that's what makes this career hard. Every day, you know what's going to happen today. You know what's going to happen when, when it's Saturday morning and I'm going to sparring. I know what's going to happen. I'm going to get super tired. My, the coach is going to push me as far as he possibly can and people are going to punch me. I'm going to be hurting afterwards, every single day. And you sign up for that every day. And you need something a lot bigger than money or fame, whatever reason is a superficial reason you're doing this for. You need love, passion and the drive to be the best in the world, to do that every single day.
0: I have to ask one thing, and it's, been, it's, it's something I meant to ask you before. Being the number one welterweight in the world right now, middleweight, middleweight in the world, Please, if I said look, it, I was like, sorry, 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 I apologize, I yeah. apologize. <laughs> don't say welterweight around me. So, like, who, who's touching you in your gym? <laughs> <laughs>
2: because well, there is this think. idea... <laughs> well, that yeah. came out wrong. <laughs> there oh, yeah. is what? this idea that... Oh, no. <laughs> not that kind of interview. Right? <laughs> there is
1: this
2: idea that you have Link to go... Then we <laughs> <Yes. laughs>
0: know if you need help. Yeah. There, There is this idea that you need to leave because our pool of training partners, you know, becomes less and less as you, as you go up the ranks. Um, and you are, you speak a lot about how you get fucked up in the gym a lot. So uh, have you been able to, is your team coming up with you in the sense that they're still able to push you? Or do you feel like at some point you need to seek out other sparring partners? Well, we,
2: we, we, our team has been growing, the pro team. Obviously that's the one thing I'd always say that where we lack against all these other countries. They have, I mean, when I go trained in the States, they have 70 guys, professional guys, 30 UFC fighters, 30 Balladour fighters fighting on the same mat, sparring. Where um, our team right now, we have 20 pros on the mat. And yeah, round about a bit more, bit less some days, but yeah, that's what we have. So the team has grown exponentially and you know what it's great, a lot of people realizing, pros realizing, if I want to make this, CIT obviously has the blueprint to make it in the world, to go and say, they can make a world champion. And that inspired a lot of people to say, I'm going to make the move, I'm going to make the move. And we are very accommodating with that. And the better our team gets, the better I get. And uh, me and coach, when I always talk about that, this inspired so many people, this what myself and Cameron, we just did that, even even since the, the debut I had in the second fight, you just see the pros being more, <coughs> what can I say, more hungry. Because now, they're already a pro fighter. They see, I'm talking about my teammates, the, the guys that train with me every day. You can see a f- new fire in them every fight because now they see, look at what we can achieve. I'm training with Dukas every day. I'm doing the exact same training he's doing. Why can't I do it? And you see that. The big reason why a lot of people can't do what I do is the fact that I don't show up to training. And I train. I go out there every day I get to training and I try to be the best in that job. And I carry that torch of being the leader of my team. Mm-hmm. But that comes with a big responsibility to be an example. And I'm an example of when I'm at training, I'm training full speed. I yes. I'm doing this training, I'm trying to win. The training session, every training session. I, you know, sometimes I have to, uh, you know, have a strong word, and it seems a little bit condescending. But with the with the other pros, they say, "Listen, you are screwing around. Yeah, you know, like I don't like the mediocrity of that. I don't like to be surrounded by that. The energy is, we are not here to be mediocre. We are here to be great. Every guy in the gym, I want them to experience what I experience. I want every single one of my teammates." To feel what it feels like to be to knock out Robert Redick, and they all have the potential of that. And just the more, yeah, since the UFC career, like I just see more people having to do less of that, motivating people. Yeah. No, people are motivated now. People see what they can do, yeah. and it's amazing. It's it's really cool. And in our gym, I mean, I was away for two weeks after the fight. I wasn't in, in in the gym well, sparring at least, and. Uh, I did uh, some boxing sparring when I got back with the with the team, and I just realized <laughs> you actually it's like the people while they were working in that two weeks, I felt a completely different style. I felt I was in danger. I was I, was, I had to keep I have to, I have to make make sure that I'm ready because they they were ready, and I mean we have a guy like Mark Hume he's going to be in the UFC soon. He has to be he's incredible, 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 incredible good. He's such a good fighter. And now at a welterweight, he's a, yeah. I can't believe he's a welterweight, but I mean, he makes the weight quite comfortably and he's massive. But, you know, that guy is a world-class grappler. When I'm grappling with Mark, it's, yeah. we are giving That's each hard, other yeah. a hard time. That guy's on your back here, it's terrible. Yeah. But, you know, when we have uh, strong guys, we have big guys, and the team keeps on growing because the people, the, the pros around the country, a lot of them start seeing what is possible. And for now, we have the recipe.
1: Well, you know, they often talk about um, representation and how important it is to see people that look like you or to see people from where you're from achieving. And I think, you know, for South Africans, being able to, to see somebody from our country at the highest level, you know, and as South Africans, we're sort of more familiar with success in team sports. You know, occasionally you might have a successful actor or something like that. But even then, they don't always seem to really... Um, you know, bring up their, their South African uh, heritage. And I think one of the things that makes watching you even more rewarding is that, you know, you always you speak a bit of Afrikaans. You know, you bring up the fact that you are South African. And I think for us, it's very empowering and just beautiful for, for the country to see, you know, one of our own at the highest levels and always conducting yourself so well. And I I hope, man, when, you, when you're fighting and afterwards that you can feel... The, the pride that you bring to this country and, and just the yeah the love that I think South Africans have for you and um, what you've done. And it has been such a, a pleasure chatting to you and I really, we appreciate you taking the time and being so, you know, humble. And I just hope that when you when you go out there in the ring that you always feel and know that you're one of us, man.
2: Oh, awesome, man. Thank you for that.
0: So that brings us, I think, to the end of this episode. We hope that you guys have enjoyed it because we have one present for you. The guys at Magnum wanted me to gift you these magnums a longtime sponsor of mine i definitely
1: don't look as good in the boots as you guys do i've got some very nice what do you call desert storm ones
0: you guys are gonna be matching very cute no we're
2: gonna be matching
1: <laughs> <laughs> thank you size. so
2: much guys i appreciate this
0: so guys if you enjoyed this episode please do subscribe like share do all the things that so we can keep this podcast going until next time bye for now i'd like to take a moment to recognize one of our sponsors la farms LA Farms is a family-owned farm on the West Coast that is committed to sustainable and regenerative farming. One order on LA Farms' website will see grass-fed and free-range meat delivered to your door within 24 hours. For more information, check out lafarms.co.ca.